Okay, would you join me as we pray? Father, I pray that you would come and enliven us. I pray that you would uh, wake up our souls. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. I pray that you would come, Jesus, in your power, a power that doesn't come from human words or sophistication, but a demonstration of your own spirit working in the hearts of all of us because we are uh, so hungry and thirsty today. And we ask this in your name and trusting in your promise. In Christ's name, amen. Last week, we began this series on the miracles of Jesus, which we're calling Signs of the King. And the reason we're calling it Signs of the King is because Jesus' miracles were about more than the miracle itself. They were about more than just an extraordinary act of kindness or healing. Ultimately, Jesus' miracles were to point the recipient to the miracle man. Jesus, the Son of God, the Kingdom of God. But there were many people that missed that, even as they received it. Last night, a group of us um, attended the Cultural Intelligence event at Busboys and Poets to hear the, the great poet, Nikki Giovanni, and as you know, it was just pouring rain. And all of us had the bright idea, all 500 of us, to get there early. And so I've never seen that many people. I mean, and the folks from our crew, you know, you see them in this part of the line, and it was just, it was hard to find the end of the line. It was just looping and looping and looping and looping. But as you imagine, for about an hour and 15 minutes in the rain, it's just kind of, you're just one big crowd and just kind of, mm. And then at one point, we heard this commotion, you know, this excitement. And what, what was that? What was that? Well, it turned out it was the poet herself, and she had, you know, walked through the line, and a couple people were smart enough to notice and get their picture, but you'd hear other folks saying, you know, she brushed right into me. I didn't even know it was her. Well, there were many people that brushed into Jesus. Um, they got, could have gotten more than a picture taken with them. But instead, they left with just the miracle. Now that, I said last week, now that's a, a, a challenging statement for me and for you because I think all of us would have one miracle. We would say, if God would do it, you know, I'd really be happy. I would be content not even realizing that's sort of a damning statement. I would be content if God just gave me what I wanted and not him. And so, as we work into these miracles, we see that Jesus doesn't just leave it there. For the person that recovers their sight, he longs for them to see spiritually. For the person that gets their belly fed, he longs for them to feed spiritually. And for the person that has been restored socially, he longs for them to be restored spiritually which takes us to the miracle for the marginalized this evening. And we'll look at this uh, through two points, the need to be restored and the significance of being restored. Okay? Let's look at those together. It begins by saying Jesus came down from the mountain. And this mountain was the mountain where he taught his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where the crowds responded by saying, we've never had anyone teach 
with such authority, the authority of God more so as God, teaching as God. But Jesus, as one person has said, not only talks powerfully on mountains, he heals in the valleys. And so he comes down, and we're told he's met by a leper. And in the Bible, that term means uh, something broader than uh, Hansen's disease, which is a equivalent in our minds to leprosy. It could be any skin disease. And Matthew doesn't supply the name of the leopard, and in so doing, he invites us into the reality of this man's life, his isolation, his nobodiness is impressed upon us. He's only known as a leper. That's his identity to the people. In the same way where we might just say white, black, gay, fundamentalist, liberal, conservative. It's just that which sums up someone's identity in our mind. And yet this distance is more than figurative. It's literal. You know, um, we're told great crowds came down the mountain, and you've got to believe as soon as they saw who was kneeling before Jesus, they would have cleared way back. You know, in a similar way during flu season when you're talking with someone and then they say, yeah, you know, I've just been struggling, I'm feeling well, and you're like, really? I'm sorry to hear that. This would have been 10,000 times worse. Everybody moves back. In fact, the leper himself had to warn the people by shouting out, unclean, unclean. The book of Leviticus says this, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. Now the torn clothes and the disheveled hair were signs of mourning in that culture. And so people are being invited into the burden that he bears as God instructs the leper to you know, uh, appear that way. It's a visual reminder. But any, anybody that hears that read is just so desperate and sad, isn't it? In fact, if you go to Numbers chapter 12, Aaron, Moses' brother, and Aaron's wife try a little coup against Moses, and God judges them, and Miriam is struck with leprosy, and as Aaron is appealing to God, he says, please don't let her be like the living dead. That's what it was like to be a leper, to be the living dead in that community. And it raises the question, well, why would God require such a burden? Right? I mean, set aside just the suffering itself, but that social burden. And, and on one level, we could say it's, it was a, many of those diseases were contagious, so there was a health issue, but there's more going on. Some of you that were here back in the fall remember when we studied the worship of ancient Israel. And as we looked at things like the tabernacle and the temple, that God, even down to the thread color he used was communicating something. That God, at that age and time of God's people, not only communicated in word, but by object lesson and by symbol. And the laws concerning the unclean had that purpose as well, whether it was unclean animals. 
or someone got in contact with something that was unclean, or a woman after she gave childbirth was temporarily unclean, or someone with a skin disease was unclean. What was God communicating through that? The object lesson between the holy and the common. More specifically, that sin always disqualifies us from communion with God and men. That's what's being displayed visually. Now, I want to be clear here. We're not saying that leprosy or any other accidental uncleanliness was a sin itself. It wasn't. It was a symbol of something that God was communicating. The way that sin removes you and I from the presence of God. This isn't hard for us to conceptualize. In our society, the worst crimes, murder, assault, what happens? People are socially removed. We call it prison. They're removed from the presence of society. Or maybe you have someone in your life that has wounded you greatly, sinned against you, and you've removed them from your presence. They are, in a sense, unclean to you because of what was done. And so through these laws and rituals, God is teaching when we sin, essentially we are spiritual lepers. That before God's presence, we need to be removed because of the way that we have lived before Him. And it's right that He should remove us. And that we are in, in need of a much greater miracle than having physical leprosy cured. It's having our spiritual leprosy cured. That's the greater miracle that we need, to have our sin cured so that we might stand before God as we should. But still, you know, it seems like a harsh way to teach Especially in modern America, 2018, where we believe acceptance is universal. Let's just be honest. The modern person today believes that we decide who is clean before God. The Bible teaches the exact opposite, that actually God decides who is clean before Him because He is the one that is perfectly flawless and morally pure and righteous and just and loving and holy. He is light. And so he determines that. This is the lesson that he's teaching. And sometimes life-saving lessons come through harsh measures, don't they? I was thinking about um, the writer and advocate, Joni Erickson Tata. She wrote an article last year, a blog article, uh, reflecting 50 years on her diving accident that rendered her a quadriplegic. So she's reflecting on this. And this is what she said. I hated my paralysis so much I would drive my power wheelchair into walls, repeatedly banging them up until they cracked. Early on, I found dark companions who helped me numb my depression with scotch and cola. I just wanted to disappear. I wanted to die. What a difference time makes, as well as prayer, heaven-minded friends, and a deep study of God's Word. All combined, I began to see there are more important things in life than walking and having use of your hands. It sounds incredible, I know, but I really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than be on my feet without Him. But whenever I try to explain it, I hardly know where to begin. Now that's something that I can only reach to understand. It was a harsh lesson that she was given through her suffering. 
But God yielded something beautiful through it. And in the case of the lepers and for the crowds that watched him, they would see now what Jesus would reveal in light of that. We're told by proximity that Jesus is close enough to the leper to stretch out his hand. I mean, think about it. He could have easily just thrown some healing his way, right? He just kind of, here's a miracle ball coming your way. I'm staying back. But he doesn't do that. And he does something that was, would have astonished the crowds and possibly what this man would have not experienced for years and years. He touched him. He touched him. Touch is a big deal. I mean, over the last decade, science and medicine have researched the power of touch. They've studied babies in orphanages and how when they develop, they develop with smaller heads and smaller bodies and smaller brains and even deficient immune systems that can lead to their death when they're not touched. What's true about children isn't much different than adults. I mean, the stats in America now are that more adults live by themselves than ever before. One in four people would say that they have no one really to talk to about intimate things. And many people go for days without a physical touch, an intentional physical touch. They've got a term for this now. They call it skin hunger. Skin hunger. And those that suffer from it suffer greater mood, depression and anxiety, immune, immune deficiency. They have more difficulty interpreting emotions. All because of lack of touch. The power of physical touch. How much more so when the one that touches you is the Son of God. God in the flesh. Now, the crowd would have expected that the transfer which would have occurred would have been the disease moves from the leper to Jesus because that's the way it always works. But they're stunned instead because what happens is it flows the other way. The cleanliness flows from Jesus to the leper. And we're told he's immediately clean. Now, there's a story where the prophet Elisha heals Nahum, but he heals him from a distance. This prophet comes up and touches the man. What manner of prophet is this? People would have been thinking that understand the Old Testament. But ultimately, don't you see, it's a symbol of the gospel. Remember, Jesus is going for something deeper. He doesn't just say to the man, be healed. He says, be clean. He's trying to get us think on a different spiritual level. And it takes us exactly to why he came. You heard it earlier in the service when Andrew said that. The gospel which says, for our sake... For your sake, for my sake, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become spiritually clean. That's the sole purpose why the Son of God came. Death was reserved for the worst offenders. But crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. The unclean. And here you have the Son of God, right, who is depicting sin itself as he is hoisted up on a cross and he is crucified 
outside the city, and God treats his own beloved son, the apple of his eye, the one for through eternity was at his side, who always pleased him, who at his baptism said, this is my son whom I love. He treats him as the marginalized, as the outcast. He's put away. That's why Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is removed from fellowship so that each of us might experience what it means to be brought into the fellowship of God through His Son, which leads us to the second point, blessing of being restored. Two things here. The first thing we see is acceptance. Acceptance. Uh, Jesus instructs the leper, to show himself to the priest. Now, the reason is, is we're still at a stage in the redemptive history of the Bible, the unfolding story, where those laws are still in effect. As Christ comes, he will abrogate them. He will fulfill them. So Jesus says, I want you to go obey the law and show yourself to the priest. He may have been doing this in part. He had just preached that he had not come to abolish the law. So he wants them to know, because they're always going to be accusing him, the religious leaders, you're just trying to get away with the law, go there. But also, the priest was the gate. He was the gatekeeper. You got back into the community. The priests were the ones that examined. They were sort of like doctors in that day. They would examine leprosy and tell you whether you were in or out. So he comes in, they see the priest. And you can only imagine, maybe we'll get to see it on video, or something cooler in heaven. I think there's something probably cooler than video. You know, it just kind of appears or whatever it is. But imagine the faces of his neighbors and his family, perhaps his spouse and his children, when he shows up and he's clean. I mean, the acceptance. Talk about the homecoming and the hugs. In light of... Um, the loneliness of modern society, there was a movement started uh, about 15 years ago, a little bit more, called Free Hugs. Has anybody heard about that, Free Hugs? Anybody been a recipient of a free hug? Oh, we got one! We got two, three! Anybody else? That's exciting. <laughs> free Hugs. So in 2004, Juan Mann uh, decided he was going to make this thing official. And listen what motivated him. I went out to a party one night, and a completely random person came up to me and gave me a hug. I felt like a king. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. You know, dear friends, he felt like a king because an ordinary person hugged him. When you have a sense that the king himself has hugged you, you feel like a king. You feel like a prince. You feel like a princess. You feel like, I have been accepted. I belong. And this is what's happened, right? God has extended through his son the big hug, the big touch to bring people in, people that were outcasts. And that acceptance brings you straight into the center of the party, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Jesus says, make your home, we'll make our home with them. They will be in the center of our home. We're told the story of the prodigal father who runs, and what's he do? He hugs the son. 
This is the beauty of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. He was tempted in every way that you are, and I am, but without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace and find mercy in the time of need. This is such an important point. Do you believe, if you're yet to know God, despite your uncleanliness, that his arms are wide open right now? Will you run into his arms tonight? Why waste any more time? We know what the alternative is. Or if you are someone that professes to know him, do you have the warmth of that hug on you? I'm serious. Do you feel that embrace of him? Because as we do, it brings us not only in the reminder of his presence, but one another's presence. Yeah, it's the Christian community that we find through the New Testament that are to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we're sort of a little uh, space conscious for that. We, we, we had a retreat once where someone preached on this, and I think there were more kisses at that retreat, holy kisses at that retreat, than we've ever had before. But the bottom line, whether it's a kiss or a hug, this is supposed to be the place where people get a hug. They get touch. And it crosses all sorts of things. It crosses race. It crosses socioeconomic boundaries. It crosses political boundaries. Have you hugged a Republican lately? <laughs> have, you, have you hugged a Democrat lately? I don't know where you're at. But you know what I'm saying? This is supposed to be the place where the hugs happen. This is the house of God. But it's not only that acceptance. Lastly, it's willingness. I think this is, might be the most powerful thing that happens. You know, the leper appeals. He kneels to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus doesn't say, you're clean. He says, I will. He shows volition. He shows desire. I'm thinking about that 70s song, I want you to want me. I'm not getting any registry on that one. That's okay. That's okay. The great church father Christostom said that, you know, Jesus answers the greater question for this leper. And in many ways, the leper demonstrates a perfect miracle mindset. So if you're looking for a miracle, this is the perfect mindset to have. Number one, he acknowledges who he's before. He kneels. Number two, he acknowledges he's got the power. He said, I don't doubt that. I know you can heal me. That's the faith. Thirdly, he acknowledges ultimately it's God's will. And that's how salvation works as well. We come before who it is. We say, I know you have all the world. Uh, uh, uh. The only reason that leper was saved was because of the mercy of Christ. And it's the same with you and I. But still, that willingness means so much. The gospel tells us in Isaiah 53 that it was God's will and desire to crush his son for us. We're told in the book of Ephesians, it's for his goodwill and pleasure 
that he chooses and lies, lays down his life with blood. We're told in the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The will is everything. I mean, Valentine's Day is coming up, right? Like it or not, it's coming up in a couple days. And imagine you have a significant other in your life, and you sit down with them and they say, okay, this, this is what I'm expecting. You know, I, I like this particular flower, you know my favorite restaurant, and you know the favorite place we sit, and also after that we'll watch our favorite movie. What's missing? Want to, will, initiative, desire. That's what we want, that's what we want to see, that's what we hunger for, and that's what God gives you and me. My friend, Jesus just didn't die for you, he wanted to die for you. God didn't just give his son to the world. He loved to give his son to the world. He willed it. He wants it. God doesn't do anything he doesn't want to do. Do you know that? You are here because he wants you here today. His will. And so as you and I were restored, it goes different than just being here. We see the acceptance in the will of God for us. We have an entire city of people that are lonely and marginalized. And here we have a big community of people that have had the hug of God. That sounds to me like a perfect setup, a perfect blind date. For this week, starting tomorrow, starting here with the people of God, let's give thanks to him. We thank you, God, for this amazing gospel. We thank you for the compassion of Jesus and the story you've given us in the scripture. In Christ's name, amen.